to God's praise now to begin our worship in Psalm 86. Psalm number 86, this is in uh, Sing Psalms version, uh, sorry, in the Scottish Psalter version, uh, page 341. And we're singing verses 12 through to the end of the psalm. O Lord my God, with all my heart, to thee I will give praise, and I the glory will ascribe unto thy name always. Because thy mercy toward me in greatness doth excel, and thou delivered hast my soul out from the lowest hell. Verses 12 uh, to 18, uh, to 17 actually it is, in Psalm 86 to God's praise. Lord my God with more my heart
Let's now call upon the Lord in prayer. We'll join together in prayer. Gracious and eternal God, as we gather once again here in your presence, we pray for your help. We pray for your help that we may worship you as we ought to, that our minds may be focused upon those things that are glorious in your work and in your person. We pray for grace, O Lord, to focus upon your word, which we find so central to our worship. And we pray that you would enable us, O Lord, to not only read your word and hear it being expounded, help us as speaker and hearers alike to take your word to heart. Apply it to our hearts, we pray, by your Holy Spirit, to enable us thereby to give you the glory and the praise that you are worthy of in a due reception of your word. We know, Lord, that when we receive your word as your word, we thereby honor you. We honor your name and we give thanks for the word that you have given us. We ask, O Lord, that you would enable us in our understanding of your word to increase in that understanding daily. We know that your word has so many aspects to it, so many depths that we can find ourselves drawn into. And even though some we cannot fully understand and comprehend, yet we thank you for the benefit, nevertheless, of giving our minds to them. We thank thee for the plain message of your word in regard to our redemption. We give thanks, O Lord, that your word shows us the way of salvation so clearly, and that there are no uh, aspects of that left as mysteries to us. And Lord, we thank you that as Jesus Christ is presented to us in your word, the message of the gospel, we give thanks that thereby you speak to us, you call us to yourself, uh, you impress upon us, Lord, the need to turn our back to sin, to a life of selfishness, which we are all, O oh Lord, by nature, so much prone to. We thank you tonight, Lord, for being together uh, we thank you for the improvement in our situation with regard to the COVID pandemic. And we thank you that we are able to express ourselves in song and praise and singing your praises in a way that is, uh, O oh Lord, not hampered by, uh, even though the necessary masks were in place for some time. Uh, we pray, O oh Lord, that for all of these good things and for everything good that comes from you, we may tonight be thankful and we may be the more dependent upon you. Your word tells us we live and move and have our being in you. However, Lord, we may progress in this world, however much we may have of worldly success, and however legitimate these things may be in themselves. Yet, Lord, we are reminded so frequently in your word that they are all from you as regards the good things that we enjoy and that it is by your power and by your might, by your grace, that you have given them to us. Help us to honor you with our daily lives. Help us to take, O oh Lord, from our worship this evening that which would follow through into the rest of the week for us. And help us to be concerned in our daily life, to manifest the glory of Christ, and to show ourselves as willing uh, servants of the Lord and to commend him to those that we meet with on a daily basis. Lord, forgive us, we pray, for our failures in regard to this. We regard even the best of us, Lord, as 
not fully committed to this in the way we ought. We confess, O oh Lord, we let many opportunities pass, that they're gone before we realize that we ought to have made the most of them. We pray your forgiveness, Lord, in regard to all our sins, the sins that are obvious in our lives, sins of speech and of behavior, as well as those that we find in our own hearts uh, may not be known to any others but ourselves and you. You are the God who looks into our hearts keenly and perfectly. And, O oh Lord, we know that we cannot hide from you and cannot hide anything else from you uh, that we uh, find in ourselves or in all, all that we think or do. Uh, we give thanks for this. But it is thereby, Lord, that we can come and place our entire selves, our lives in your hand, knowing that you are able to provide against all our need in all its variety, in all its extent. So bless us, Lord, we pray tonight as a congregation. Bless all the gatherings of your people in this town and beyond. And enable, Lord, your people tonight to know the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. Oh, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the ministry that your Spirit exercises in bringing us, O oh Lord, to know ourselves as sinners, destitute of righteousness. We thank you for the ministry of your Spirit convicting us of our sin and of our misery. We thank you for the ministry of your Spirit in directing us to the Saviour and in enabling us to embrace you as the living God, the living Saviour of his people. Lord, we ask for your Spirit to guide us in our Christian walk. We give thanks, O Lord, for all that you have been to us thus far. We pray that whatever age we may be, our lives may be directed by your Holy Spirit day by day. We give thanks for the work of your Spirit in sanctifying your people and preparing them to be with you in heaven. And Lord, we pray that tonight each of us may know that influence in our own lives, our hearts being directed towards you and made conformable to you in your own will and purpose. Remember us, Lord, we pray in all that we seek to do throughout each week in your name, both in regard to our young folks and other age groups too. We pray for our young people and ask, Lord, as we are thankful for them, we pray for each and every individual. We pray for all the families that have young people that belong to us as a congregation. Lord, remember them, we pray, at this time and establish them in your ways. We ask your blessing for Youth Fellowship this evening and pray that you would bless them as they meet together. We pray for Reverend Ferrier as he speaks to them. We pray that that will be a blessed occasion to all concerned. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would continue to provide for our Sunday school, for our creche, for our tweenies, for other groups, Lord, that involve our young people. Bless your own gospel to them and uh, grant to protect them and uh, show them the things that uh, are uh, in this world designed in themselves from the evil one to lead them away from your truth. We pray that you would make them wise unto salvation. Remember those tonight whose hearts are heavy with mourning. Oh Lord, remember all who mourn the passing of loved ones. Uh, each and every week that goes by, recently we know that those belonging to our congregation have experienced bereavement and loss. Lord, we pray for each and every family and each individual. We pray for those who are still waiting for preparations regarding the funeral of loved ones. 
We ask that you would give them grace, Lord, to wait upon you and to know your direction and your comfort at this time. We pray for uh, the outcome of the elections, both locally and nationally. Oh, Lord, our God, we pray for those in our own locality who have been elected to council, those returning and those who are there for the first time. Uh, we pray for them and ask that you would show them your ways and bless them. Especially, Lord, we pray that you would uh, bring to them the sense of the sufficiency of your word, of your own laws, of your precepts. Help also those who offered themselves but ended up without being elected. Help them, we pray, to, uh, to deal with that. We thank you for the interests of so many and we pray especially for those of your own people who gave themselves to election uh, but weren't elected. Yes, yeah, Lord, we, we do pray for them and ask that you would be pleased to draw near to them at this time. And so we ask that in all aspects of our life, individually and congregationally and in our locality and nationally, Lord our God, be merciful to us. Show us your ways. Direct us away from the ways of sin. And hear us, we pray now, and pardon us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's now read God's word as we find it this evening in 1 Timothy. Uh, 1 Timothy in chapter 6. We'll read through the whole chapter from the beginning. First Timothy in chapter 6, let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and, to Jesus Christ, and of Jesus Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach 
until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. May God bless again our reading of his word to his own praise and glory. I'm going to sing again in Psalm 68. Now it's 68 in the uh, Scottish Psalter version, not the Sing Psalms version that's on your bulletin sheet. So it's Psalm 68, uh, verses 7 through to 11. O God, what time thou didst go forth before thy people's face, and when through the great wilderness thy glorious marching was, then at God's presence shook the earth, then drops from heaven fell. This Sinai shook before the Lord, the God of Israel. Through to verse 11, the Lord himself did give the word, the word abroad did spread. Great was the company of them, the same who published. That's Psalm 68 on page 302 in the Scottish Psalter, uh, singing from verse 7 to verse 11, O God, what time thou didst go forth. O God, what time thou didst go forth before thy people's Congregation and make 
Let's turn once again this evening to the, the epistle to the Philippians, uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. It's some time since we had our last study in uh, Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to continue tonight, chapter 4, verse 10, and looking at verses uh, 10 to 13. That's Philippians chapter 4 and reading from verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in everything, in, every, in, in, in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Well, we're living, as you know, in very challenging times. Uh, challenging times not only in the way that the gospel uh, is being challenged, but challenging too in a more ordinary sense, if you like. Challenging times with regard to uh, prices increasing in the aftermath of the COVID situation and the worldwide effects of that. Uh, challenges regarding inflation and the increasing inflation that we're hearing about and that we know about in the prices themselves as you see that in your shops. Challenging times with regard to uh, closures of businesses, challenges for those who have lost their work and are now unemployed and some who find difficulty in seeking alternative employment. This is an, an, an environment for much anxiety, uh, an environment in which some find uh, a degree of hopelessness and feeling just sidelined, an environment in which we uh, find an increase in substance abuse and alcoholism and those sort of excesses. How can anyone be content in circumstances like these? Where do you find the secret of contentment? What the apostle is calling here the secret of contentment that he has learned. How can anyone be content, surrounded by and affected by, sometimes affected directly, as most of us are, by these issues that, that prove so challenging for our day? Well, Paul is dealing here with what we're calling the contented life because that's essentially what these verses are about. Uh, and not only... Are we facing challenges? We're facing this challenge as well to live a contented life uh, irrespective of what our circumstances may be because it's not just in times of difficulty, uh, times of challenges such as we've mentioned that living a contented life is important. Uh, it is important at all times to seek to live a life of contentment, to have a contented heart, to have a contented mind, to have a mind that is well and truly content with our circumstances, with our situation, with our relationship with God, whatever it is you're thinking about. And this was important to the apostle, not just in writing to the Philippians, it was important to the apostle, uh, not just for his own life as well and those of the Philippians, it was important pastorally for the apostle. As we read in chapter 6 of uh, 1 Timothy, you can see there in verses 6 to 10 how important it was for the apostle to commend contentment 
and how one comes about to be content in his preaching. It's something obviously built into his preaching. It's something obviously that should be important to us in our preaching of the gospel. Where does a person get contentment from? How does a person come to be content in their lives uh, in the world in which we are placed? And you look at the verses 17 to 19 of that chapter where he talks there about the, the danger of seeking to uh, follow riches for their own sake. Uh, he says, for the rich in this present age, as for them, charge them not to be haughty or set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to be good, to be rich in good works. You see the way Paul plays on the word rich and riches throughout that passage there. They are not to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but rather to look to God who richly gives good works and is therefore able to give the contentment that we require. And that's really what you have in the Philippians passage as well. What is a contented life? How do you experience contentment? Where does it come from? What are the elements of contentment for yourself, for myself tonight? If you ask yourself the question, how can I have a contented heart if I'm surrounded by challenges and uncertainties, if I know of changes in my life, if I know of things that I'm struggling with, where can I find contentment? How can I possibly have contentment, true contentment, in that situation? Well, Paul gives us here three main elements to it. I'm going to take these in turn. He talks first of all about thankfulness. Uh, you can see that from verse 8 onwards, and especially in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have re revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Uh, you can see um, how he is later on in the passage that follows, talking about the gift that they have uh, sent to him. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you set. So he is thankful to the Philippians, thankful, of course, to God most of all, but he's thankful that the Philippians have shown themselves in their kindness to him by sending gifts. We're not told what they were, but Epaphroditus came with this gift to Paul, and he is truly thankful for it. Now, that's an essential element of a contented life. You and I will never have a contented life if we are not thankful to God, if we are not thankful even for the least of his mercies. Because thankfulness is uh, such an important ingredient in a life that's in tune with God and in tune with God's providence and God's wisdom. So thankfulness is the first element in a contented life. And then secondly, you find verses 11 to 12, or 11 to 13, uh, the second element is dependence. Paul says he's thankful for the gift, but he's saying not that I really was in dire need of it, because I've learned in whatsoever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in every and any circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In other words, he is saying, my contentment actually comes 
as he's speaking to the Philippians and setting these things forth for them to follow and to apply in their own lives, his contentment is not just, I mean, uh, 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 not just something that involves thankfulness to God, it involves dependence upon Christ, dependence on God. He looks for his sufficiency in Jesus himself, in God himself. There's thankfulness, there's dependence, and thirdly, there is strengthening. Because ultimately, uh, his contentment comes from Jesus himself, comes from God. As you see in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So it doesn't matter whether Paul is experiencing what he calls being brought low or what he calls abounding, whether it's really something in which he lacks certain things physically or financially or whether he is actually full of as much as possibly he could have in this life. He's saying, I can do all things through him who fills me with strength. That's what he means, who strengthens me. His contentment comes from the supply that Jesus gives him on a daily basis. And that too is in many ways the key to contentment for ourselves. The contented life is the life that comes to be supplied by Jesus on a daily basis with the grace, with the ability, with the mindset, with everything that is to do with contentment. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, and he lies content in the supply that Jesus brings. Because it's not just a matter of those who are facing deprivation that have a challenge of being content. Those who are facing poverty, for example, in Paul's day, and he, he very much is aware of that as he writes his letters. Um, it's uh, a challenge how to be content if we're on the breadline, if we're facing uh, though many of us aren't, of course. Uh, nevertheless, those in the world, that's a, that's a difficulty for them. But it's equally so for those who are millionaires. Where does a millionaire find contentment? Because they will tell you themselves, mostly, that although their millions bring them uh, a luxurious lifetime, a comfortable lifetime, it does not guarantee contentment. Contentment is not the same thing as comfort. Contentment, in the apostles' terms, is being thankful to God, being dependent on God, being strengthened by Christ. Let's look at these briefly in turn. Well, here is Paul saying to the Philippians here in verse 18, I have received full payment. I didn't seek this gift, but I seek the, gift, the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He uses very strong terms you show, to show the extent of his thankfulness. Now he's, he's treading a very fine line here. And it's a line that uh, many of us actually know for ourselves. Uh, he doesn't want in any way to appear ungrateful and so he is thankful for the gifts the, the Philippians have sent him. But at the same time, on the other side of things, he doesn't want to make it uh, appear that he's being covetous, that he really wanted such things for himself. And that is something that he would seek from them in the future. It's that fine line between being thankful for what they've sent and yet at the same time saying, not that I'm speaking of being in need. I didn't seek this. I don't necessarily want any more, but I'm thankful for what you've sent. 
And uh, if we speak personally, uh, I know this is something that, that we find ourselves in the ministry. Uh, we are so dependent in many ways on the church's givings. We're paid out of the contributions in our stipends from your givings. And believe me, we're grateful for that. And oh, our thankfulness ultimately is to God uh, who supplies all things for us. But that's where we are placed as preachers of the gospel. And it's that fine line between saying, we're really grateful to you, but we're not seeking, we're not covetous, we're not actually living so that you will keep on giving to us. It's that line that he's following here where he wants them to be truly aware of his thankfulness and yet he is uh, not at all saying that he is being covetous in regard to it. Now, thankfulness, therefore, is something that's so crucial to our contentment. If we're going to be content with what we have, it doesn't mean that you don't improve life. It doesn't mean it's wrong to seek an increase in your wealth or things like that, just to have something in hand by, by which you're able to have more comfort or be more assured and so on. It doesn't mean that that's wrong, but it is. And, uh, uh, but uh, thankfulness and contentment is the enemy of covetousness, or you can put it the other way. Covetousness is the enemy of contentment. If we have a coveting heart, if we have a heart that really reaches out and wants for its own sake more of the things of this world, whether it's material issues uh, other than finance or whether it's money itself or whatever or the applause of human beings, everything to do with this world in its worldliness is something that we could covet and sometimes do covet. And covetousness is the enemy of contentment. If you and I are coveting something for its own sake, even if it's good in itself, that covetousness, that drive of our hearts which is there naturally, will actually be at odds with our contentment. The contentment, uh, for example, that uh, uh, the people of Israel, it's a very interesting comparison. Let me just refer to, uh, first of all, Exodus chapter 17 and verse uh, 7 especially. You remember that incident very well. It's the waters of Meribah where the people murmured against and complained about their situation, complaining against Moses, but ultimately complaining against God. Um, where uh, in Exodus uh, chapter 17 and verse 7, uh, he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? You see, their situation where they couldn't find water not that long after leaving Egypt, and their hearts were really hankering back after the things of Egypt. And this is what they were really saying, complaining against Moses and ultimately against God. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And um, this is what uh, was called, the name was called Meribah because of that. They were really quarreling with the Lord ultimately, discontentment with their lot discontentment with the, with the providence of God for them, discontentment and impatience, which also very often is along with discontentment, seeking that they would actually go back to Egypt would it not be better. But what's interesting, it's saying there that um, they tested the Lord. 
They put the Lord to the test. They were quarreling with him. But when you go to the book of Psalms, you find another angle on this in Psalm 81. And in Psalm 81, the same incident is referred to, uh, giving that other angle on it. If you read Psalm 81 and verse 7, uh, God is here speaking to the people, In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. And uh, he's saying there he would have fed them with the finest of the wheat, with honey from the rock, I would satisfy. You know, you see the change, the subtle change there. In Exodus 17, the emphasis is on them testing God, them putting God to the test, them complaining about God. And God is actually saying, Psalm 81, actually it was the other way about, though they didn't see it. It was they who were being tested. It was they who were being tested in the situation God brought about, whether they would be true to him or not, whether they would believe in him or not, whether they would accept his wisdom or not, whether they would fall in with his leadership or not, or with the provision of Moses for him. That was the test that was going on. They were being tested, and they were found out because they were discontent with God's arrangement. Thankfulness was missing from their program. And thankfulness for you and for me tonight is such an important ingredient in being content. Are we thankful tonight with our lot? Are we thankful that God is in charge of our lives? Are we thankful that he's not left us to ourselves, to our own wisdom? Are we thankful for the things that he's given us in his providence, even though others may have many more things, even though others may have more of the things that we have from day to day? Are we thankful for what we have? Well, certainly it seems to me in times gone by that uh, people in our own situation, our own locality, uh, had more thankfulness for what they had than, than we tend to have today. Friends, we live in a world that has so little thankfulness that hardly ever stops to thank God. How many people say grace before they eat? How many people think of who has actually ultimately provided for them the resources that they have, whether they're small or great, whether they compare with others acceptably or not? Tonight, one of the things that should characterize us from day to day is thankful. Be thankful to God every morning you wake. Be thankful that he's kept you through the night. Be thankful as you take your breakfast. Be thankful that you have that to put on your table. Be thankful if you have work that God has given you uh, a way of earning income for your family. Be thankful if you've been seen through work successfully, if you're retired, if you've come to enjoy the benefits of retirement, even though you might not have a massive retirement pot like you might see others have, shouldn't we be content if we have food and clothing, as we read in First Timothy? With these, let's be content. Thankfulness to God. Remember, back in Philippians, we saw 
Uh, how in, in verse 6 of this same chapter, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You see, that's the same uh, alongside of thankfulness. You have the rejoicing in the Lord, the provision of the Lord himself. But he went on to say, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If I were to come before God and plead with him to give me certain things, even if they're legitimate things, things that I lack, things that I know would be beneficial to me or for my family or for whatever else, but if I do that without a word of thankfulness, God is saying, do you really think that you're praying as you should be? Because if I'm missing out the thankfulness, then I'm being selfish. And if I'm being selfish, I will never be content in the contentment that God commends to me here in the gospel. So there's the first thing, thankfulness. We could elaborate on that many ways, but let's move on secondly to dependence. Here he is in verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatsoever situation I am to be content. And he goes on, as we saw through, to saying I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, the first thing of interest here is that he's saying, I have learned to be content. And that shows you that this contentment, the contented heart, is not something that comes all at once. It's something that Paul himself had to work at. We mustn't think that somebody like the Apostle Paul from the day that he was converted just lived a completely contented life, that he didn't have to work at any of the things that he's actually saying to others when he's writing these epistles to them. No, he's saying, I learned in whatsoever situation I am to be content. And in verses 11 to 12, he tells us, um, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You see, he's saying it again. I have learned. I have learned. It's something that he himself came by process of experience to learn and to increase and to grow in. And where do you learn contentment? Well, he's telling us here, it's in the things of providence from day to day in our daily lives. I have learned in whatsoever my circumstances are, whether it is indeed being brought low or abounding, I have learned therein to be content. Friends, tonight, providence, as we call it, the way that God has arranged our life, which will be so different one person from another in many respects, but providence, that arrangement that God has, has of our lives is our school, it's our college, it's our university. It's where we learn the things of God himself, and it's where we learn contentment. That's where our contentment is learned, just as you learn so much else that's true of a Christian life. That's where it's actually learned, that's where it's tested, that's where it's practiced. That's where everything to do with the life of a Christian is really worked out. It's not in the privacy of your own home, though it is there as well, but it is in the public sphere. It's where people see you, it's where you interact with them, it's where you work, it's where you go to school. It's all of those things on an everyday basis. I have learned to be content. And indeed he uses here, in verse 12, he says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Now, it's interesting that he uses that word because scholars tell us that 
this was a word that was used by the philosophers in the Greek world in the mystery religions of the time. Certain philosophies that, like the Stoics, for example, they were a prime example of this, uh, and their approach to life was, well, here are your difficulties, here are your challenges, here are all the different aspects of your experiences day by day, and when you're really facing a time of challenge and difficulty, steel yourself against it, close it off from your mind, close your mind away from it, look into yourself and just build yourself up against these things as if they're not there. Well, that's not what the apostle is saying, but he is using a word probably deliberately just by way of contrasting the Christian approach. I have learned the secret of being content, but the secret of being content for the apostle is not to steel himself against or firm up himself against the things that are happening in his life, his experiences, as if they are just closed out and he doesn't want to know about them or deal with them and just try and move on and build himself up. No, he says, I accept them, and I accept them as God-given, and I accept them as God-arranged, and I accept them as the wisdom of God has arranged for me. Whatever I may think of them, whatever I may make of them, however I may complain about them, however they may hurt me, however the challenges of these come my way, saying, I have learned the secret of facing hunger and abundance and need because I'm not looking to my own resources, to my own abilities. He's looking to Jesus. He's looking to himself. So, well, Paul, it's a deliberate contrast. You see the things that, that come in your providence day by day. As we say, that's the school where you're set in order to learn contentment, where you learn the wisdom of God in arranging your life the way it is. But it's where you learn dependence upon God as well. And in order to be content, you need to be dependent. You need to rely on Christ himself. You need to find him in all the different changes of life as, as being your sufficiency at all times. I'm sure you all know the story uh, the true story of Horatius Spafford. I think I've mentioned this before. Uh, the man who wrote um, uh, the, hymn, the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Well, in 1871, uh, Stafford's four-year-old son died. And that same year, there was a great fire in Chicago in the USA that seriously affected his property, uh, his business, and uh, devalued so much of what was left of his business after the fire. And he sent his wife and four daughters across the Atlantic um, to, to England, and he was going to join them after he had seen to some of the business interests that he had to deal with. And they went across on a ship called the SS Ville du Havre in 1873. And in the middle of the Atlantic, that ship collided with another ship called the Lochern and sank very soon afterwards with a great loss of life. And Spafford received a very sad telegram from his wife, Anna. And all it said on the telegraph was, saved alone. Their four daughters had been drowned in that tragedy. Saved alone. And he set off to cross the Atlantic to join his wife, 
and to try and bring her home. And on the way across, Stafford was summoned up to the bridge by the captain. And the captain said to him, as far as we can reckon, this is exactly the location or the place where the Ville de Havre went down, where his daughters were lost. So he returned to the cabin, and later that night he wrote these words, which became the hymn, It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul, with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Can you and I say that tonight? The variety of circumstances in this church tonight is significant. Nobody uh, may even share the experience that you're going through right now. The providences that God has given you may be significantly different to anyone else's. And it may be the same for me. But can I say and can you say, are we glad to be able to say, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I have learned, he said, Paul said, the secret of contentment. The key to it is Christ himself. And that's the third point. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The things that he mentions here in verse 13, I can do all things, are obviously the things that are specifically mentioned in uh, verse 12, the uh, ways in which he's brought low, the way he's, which he's abounding, whatever actually may have been involved in that, that's, these were his circumstances, generally speaking. But this is the key to his contentment more than anything else. Yes, the contented life involves thankfulness, the contented life involves dependence upon God, but the contented life uh, itself is not something which rests on these. They are but the expressions of a contented life or the means towards being content. But contentment itself comes from the filling that Christ fills our souls with, who fills me with strength. I can do all things through him or in him who fills me with strength. What is the, the cause? What is the ground of Paul's contentment? Where does he find the key to his contentment? It's not in his own thankfulness. It's not in his own dependence. So that's part of the whole package. The key to it is what Jesus is, who Jesus is, what Jesus is doing in his life. And the words really there, the word strengthens is an important verb. It's what grammarians call a causative verb. It's something in which uh, there is a source involved. And he's talking here about God or about Jesus. I can do all things through him who strengthens, who causes me to be strengthened, who fills me with strength. That's his daily experience. That's his daily desire. That's his daily 
walk after contentment, looking for contentment. The secret, the key to his contentment is that Christ fills his soul with strength. How can you face the challenges of today? How can you face the challenges of this present time? How can you actually live a contented life amongst the things we mentioned at the beginning of our study tonight? Well, this is the key to it. This is the key that opens the way to a contentment and a contented life. I can do all things through him who fills me with strength. Christ pouring his power into the apostle's life. Is that where you're looking for? Your contentment. As you listen to the world, as you listen to the voices of the world, as you listen to the philosophies of the world and the religions of the world, as you face all of these alternatives to Jesus and to the gospel, here's the question for me tonight, here's the question for you. What am I seeking contentment from? Where is my contented life to be based? How can I reach more contentment than I have? Well, not in the things of the world. Not in the things Paul mentioned in his letter to Timothy, as we read. Your contentment must surely come from knowing Christ. From Christ filling your life with his strength. From being able to say with the apostle in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, My grace is sufficient for you, God said to him. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Much more then, said Paul, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ, the strength of Christ, may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You hand your life over to Jesus. And when you hand your life over to Jesus in faith and in trust, what happens? It means that you're not relying on your own strength. It means that you're not seeking contentment from the things you're able to produce yourself. It means that your contentment doesn't come from your own ability to create contentment. It doesn't come from the things of the world. It doesn't come from anything other than from Jesus himself. I can do all things through him who fills me with strength. The thankfulness is important. The dependence is important. But the source of all things, the key to the contentment, is really Jesus himself. When you find uh, a ship in rough seas, obviously plowing its way through a rough sea, that ship needs a captain, that ship needs a knowledgeable crew, officers that will uh, actually take their own place in what needs to be done. They all have an important work. But whatever you say about the captain, and it may be the most skilled captain in the world, and it may be the best crew a ship could ever have. And they have their own work to do, but they are not the cause, the actual cause, the physical cause of the ship's progress through the rough seas. The cause is in those engines down below. These are the engines that drive the ship. The engines need the engineer. The ship needs the captain. But it's the working of the engines that empowers the vessels and drives it through the waves. And it is too with a Christian life. We need prayer. We need thankfulness. We need dependence. We need fellowship. We need all of these things and more. But our progress and our contentment 
is the energy of Jesus himself. That is the key to a contented life. And if we have that in place, then we can follow the words of the psalmist in Psalm 4. You remember these wonderful words, though we're not going to sing them tonight, but um, these words where, um, the, where uh, the David is saying uh, in his dealings with God, Lord, there are some who say, who will show us some good? There's the question that's in everybody's minds. Who's going to show us any? Where does my contentment come from? Where can I find that which is truly good? You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. The joys of the harvest. The contentment of seeing the harvest safely home. But he said, you have given me more joy than even they have at the height of their harvest joy. So he says, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. That's your contented life, the life that lies willingly in the hands of God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give thanks for your strength. Oh, we confess, Lord, our own weakness, our inability. We confess our unworthiness. Confess that we are not deserving that you should show us uh, any comfort or mercy day by day. But we thank you that there is forgiveness with you. We thank you for all that flows into the lives of those who live by faith of those who trust in you and have given their life over to you. We thank you for your enabling grace. We thank you for the daily grace that enables us, Lord, to look for contentment in yourself alone. We ask that our lives may be lives that are truly content. We ask that our witness to the world may be a witness that we are content with our God, that we are content to be his people and to live by faith and dependence, and in thankfulness to him. And so receive us now, we pray. Receive our worship, cleanse all that is of sin, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to sing now uh, in conclusion this evening in uh, Psalm 28. Psalm 28 in the Sing Psalms version on page 33. Psalm 28, verses 6 to 9. Praise to the Lord, for he has heard the plea for mercy which I made. He is my strength, he is my shield. I trust in him who sends me aid. My heart uplifted leaps for joy. My thanks to him I gladly sing. The Lord God is his people's strength, a saving fortress for his king. O Lord, give, save your people, your own flock. Be pleased your heritage to bless. Be their good shepherd, carry them forever in your faithfulness. Verses 6 to 9, page 33, praise to the Lord. Praise to the Lord for
to the main door last week, so I'll go to the door to my right here uh, this evening. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore. Amen.